0: Restaurants Unstoppable, episode 333. Three, three. You know, I, I, we love, I love the art of restaurants. I love dining out. I still love dining out a couple times a week. I, I love it. But um, that's someone's life that they put into it. And there is, it's not, you know, business is not a four letter word in the rest of, of the world in America. But for some reason, I think there's a lot of chefs that stand in their own way. A lot of restaurant owners who go, well, I don't really care about any of that. But really, it's a virtuous circle. If the, if the business makes money, then you can reinvest it in the business, provide better hospitality to your clients, and therefore get more more patrons, more diners, and then make more money again. It's, it's a virtuous circle. So you can always choose to reinvest as much as you want. But I really wanted to set the whole thing up for success.
1: Hiring a consultant to train your staff and to improve your restaurant can be expensive. Wouldn't it be awesome if you could just get advice from world champion baristas and leading restaurant consultants without spending thousands of dollars? Tipsy believes you should have the chance to learn new skills whenever you need to, which is why they have hundreds of hospitality courses available for only $9 a month. To give you a little something extra, as a Restaurant Unstoppable listener, you can also get 50% off your first month. All you got to do is click click the tipsy banner in the show notes. Get on it. Are you opening a restaurant and stressing out with where to start? Or perhaps you've already opened your restaurant and you're finding yourself completely overwhelmed with the day-to-day task that only you know how to do. If you feel this way, I've got good news. You don't have to do it alone. Nor should you regain control of your business and your life with restaurants owner.com and if you go to restaurantowner.com slash unstoppable you will get a 10 day pass for only one dollar get on it all right so with excitement yes (laughs) allow me to introduce to you today's guest nick kakanis nick my man you gotta tell me. No, no, I'm not gonna. I'm
0: not introducing myself. I'm bringing in. No, you need to sit your ass right here, Tech. Uh, this is Tech. He's one Tech. of our our restaurant outreach people here. What's but up, you're dude? gonna uh, don't say a word yet. When he he's gonna introduce me. He doesn't know. He's never introduced me. But this man, you'll know why I brought him in here in about five seconds. Tech, why don't you introduce me?
1: Hi. No,
0: no, 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 no don't do that. Do do. This is his actual voice. Where do you hear this? By the way, by the way, by the way, you gotta look him up afterwards. He doesn't look like what he sounds like. That's all I'm going to say. But here it goes. <laughs> that, uh, so, oh, so um, I'm well, what worried. am I doing here? Am I introducing you? you? You're, all right. you're, you're uh, This is introducing
1: me. all right, and putting me to shame in the process. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best. God damn it! Well, man. That's all fun. right, so um, well, I'm just kind of put on the spot here. Uh, well, this yeah. is uh, the you're man. I am. This is Nick Conus. Uh, You can read this if you want. Just go ahead and uh, read that introduction. There we go. What do we got? What do we got here? Starting there. Ah, okay. So after graduating with a degree in philosophy and a successful 10-year stint as an independent derivatives trader, Nick has partnered with Chef Grant (laughs) Ockett to open a linear... Restaurant. Okay, he can't see worth a shit. <laughs> I'm sorry. But, no, it's okay. Yeah,
0: but you already served your purpose. Because, like, that was a really... You,
1: All say, right, am I dismissed? Say goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> All the right, man I, has I'm the taking most, over. The guy has the most over. amazing voice. I didn't want so, to steal your job. This guy is clearly unstoppable. I think we've answered <laughs> that question. He's definitely... I uh, got a ton of energy and I'm looking forward to this interview, but uh, let me start from the top with the introduction. Uh, after graduating with a degree in philosophy in a successful 10 year stint as an independent derivatives trader, Nick Kakonis partnered with chef Grant Akats. And I'm saying it's, it's, that. It's, no, I- neither one right. It's uh, Kakonis and oh. Akats. <laughs>
0: That's okay. That's embarrassing. Uh, no, it doesn't uh, matter. <laughs> you know,
1: the printed page uh, can screw yeah. you up. So. <laughs> I even watched a few videos. I thought I got it right. Um, so they opened a linear restaurant in 2005. And in the 12 years of follow, Nick was would go on to co find Next, the Aviary, in Roysters, uh, in addition to. Kokonis, did I say it right that time? No, (laughs) Kokonis. Kokonis is the founder and CEO of Talk, a cloud-based comprehensive booking system for restaurants, events, in pop-ups around This is a the mouthful. Talk, I, we, that's why we did a four-letter name <laughs> yeah. for that. Did I miss anything? Or is, that's I, a good aerial view, right? Yeah, Across it's fine. It's totally awesome. fine. So uh, let's get this motivational, inspirational ball rolling, Nick, with a success quote or mantra, something that you use in your life, something that your team <laughs> uses in your life to kind of keep you going, to see the world.
0: Oh, I don't know. I mean, um, oh boy, we don't really have a mantra. I, I will say this. Um, in a restaurant, there's like this yes, chef kind of mentality you know where chef says to do something and everyone says yes yeah, chef and um i, I always kind of like when people say no okay um for me not you know it doesn't work in a kitchen but I, I really love having people around that question what it is that we're doing what i'm doing and all that so i would i would always say you know ask good questions mm. would be my mantra like the questions are more important than the answers.
1: And I, you know, that's beautiful because you guys are constantly challenging our perception of how things should be done, like continually. And I'm sure it comes from that culture of just constantly saying, what can I do or how can I do this better? Yeah, okay. I, I just think that there's a lens that you try to look at things through. And I, I actually
0: studied philosophy in college and, um, you know, you're not going to answer the world's great mysteries and questions in four years of studying philosophy in college. Um, but you will learn what those questions are, and you'll learn how to think, not mm. what to think. And so I think the, the, uh, with any career, with any job, with whatever you're doing, we, we, you know I don't want to jump ahead here, but we ask really fundamental questions when we're building a restaurant, when we're trying to um, design a restaurant or design an experience that we want people to have. And um, that's really the tone that Grant set right away when we first
1: met to chat about Alinea. Beautiful. So I'm really curious on the story on how this all came to be. But first, I'm going to grab my water because I realize it's out of reach. It's right
0: here. No, you got
1: it. Oh, that's... Oh, yeah. Okay. So untraditional route into the industry, right? You were... I don't even know what a derivatives trader is but how did he tell me let's just start from there see that eddie murphy movie trading places where they like stand and scream
0: at each other and like you know they buy frozen concentrated orange juice and all that you might be too young it's a great (laughs) movie you should watch it but i haven't um anyway uh yeah i did i was in on the floor of the chicago mercantile exchange for years and then also traded a bunch of other stuff um but you know stocks bonds commodities that sort of stuff
1: all right so why'd you get out of it I burnt out for okay. the most
0: part. I mean, it was 10, 11 years of 24 hours a day.
1: So you're approximately you know. at this time 32, 33, 34, I think, Okay. Yeah. 2002
0: and roughly 34, 35.
1: Did becoming an asshole have anything to do with it? I think I have seen Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I'm just probably
0: still and I'm I'm in the process of becoming <laughs> a larger asshole, I guess. Um, no, I you know, I, I think that that industry creates a very short-tempered um, outlook on life um it's you know you kind of eat what you kill every day and uh it was just a very uh stressful environment um which i really loved by the way i still if it what's weird is i've actually done the restaurant thingy now longer than i did that but i still think of myself more as a trader than a restaurant in a way okay um which makes no sense um it's just that those those were kind of like my formative years i think you know
1: so you got out of the industry, you're 34 uh, years old, we said. And did you have a plan? Like did you know what no. you were going to do afterwards? No, like talk no, us no. through how you met Grant and when this all started to really come into frame for you and what that frame originally looked yeah, like. Yeah, I that. don't uh, Yeah, I
0: don't know that it came into frame inten- in with intention. It was more like um, so, I, uh, backing up, I, when I was a kid, I, I did not enjoy food at all. Okay. <laughs> um, my mom was not a great cook. Great person, not a great cook. Uh, you know, kind of boiled vegetables until they were just limp and gray. All right. And um, I was a super picky eater. A lot, my mom had a lot of food phobias and still does. And uh, she passed those along to me as as parents are want to do with their children by accident. And so... Uh, it was kind of when I met my wife and and her family and and started eating out with them and kind of discovered that if you if you do anything really well, cooking wise, no matter what that food stuff is, what no matter what the ethnicity of the food is, it's delicious. It's a whole central aspect of life that I had totally missed. Mm. And um, you know, rather than being something at night where you go out to dinner and and it's just eating, it became a, a central part of of our lives and entertaining friends and having dinner parties by. And we started loving and learning to cook. And, uh, I'm an inquisitive kind of person. Like when I, if I get a piece of fish at a restaurant and it's got a different texture and, you know, and then I read their cookbook and it doesn't really tell me what to do. (laughs) Um, and my results are different. You know, I start looking at like, well, what's the physics of this? What's the science of it? Well, how does this work? So I started getting really into that. We started traveling around to um, some great restaurants in Europe and whatnot. And um, I came back uh, from a trip to Spain, where we went to San Sebastian, which um, is just a great. Have you ever been to San Sebastian? No, not so, someday. <laughs> so I, I just got like culturally, and and it just wrapped. It's like a whole town built around food and the culture of food. It's really, and it's not like a new thing. It's like you know, it's Wait, been like it that be way for hundreds there. of years. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, so we, we came back from that trip and one day some friends of ours invited us for lunch on a Friday, uh, at Trio in Evanston, Trio restaurant. And I'd been there before and it used to be kind of like an Asian fusion thing. Um, in its middle, they had three iterations. essentially. The first iteration was kind of like a French place. And then it became a kind of a more fusion uh, food. And, you know, it was fine. I mean, it was in suburban Chicago. It was, a, it was an aspirational restaurant. It tried to do well, but I didn't really love when it was kind of the fusion thing. So I didn't really want to go, but then I, I had nothing else to do because I was unemployed at that point in my okay. life. And uh, so we went there on a Friday afternoon. Our friends ended up not being able to go at the last minute, so it was just my wife and I. And we sat down for this lunch, and within about three bites of the first, and second courses, I was just like, what the hell happened at this place? <laughs> uh, it was quite simply just unbelievably delicious. Okay, And I remember, I can tell you that the waiter's name was Fred and um, I called him over and I said, uh, what, what's going on here? This is totally different than when I was here like a year ago. And he said, yeah, we got this new kid from the French Laundry and he's blowing our minds. Oh, man. And right. It's really, it's like one of those moments that you remember. And, and so on the way out, my wife said, like, let's come back for dinner. So we made um, – that was Friday. We made a dinner reservation for the following Wednesday. Okay. And we went in there and there, and we brought some friends of ours. And uh, I remember that there was maybe 14 people seated in the whole restaurant. So it was a small restaurant, but even, you know, there weren't very many people. And course after course after course was different and provocative and delicious and fun and – it was just great at the end, they couldn't really get rid of us. you know it was Wednesday okay. night, we were kind of drunk and just hanging there, and we were the last people in the place and so out comes grant um at the time he was twenty seven i believe okay uh and I was you know you're kind of expecting central casting of of a chef you know i don't I don't know what I was expecting, but I just wasn't expecting grant see
1: so this is like 2003, 2004? two thousand yeah, three two thousand
0: four yeah two or three yeah okay. um yeah, probably two thousand late two thousand two I'd say. Okay, and so he he came out, and um, you know he's this he's this earnest kid from Michigan. You know, looked all Americana, Grant. You know, and back then he had like you know close crop, you know ginger hair, and and uh, <laughs> you know he he just was like, so how do we do? And he was asking really interesting questions. You know, getting back to that question okay. thing. He was asking us, like, well, on that third course, you know, when, that, when we brought out that balloon of mozzarella, what, what did you think that was? What was that? Why did that make you feel when you cut into it? Were you expecting, you know? And he was asking, like, hey, I, I've been trying these new things, and I, I want to see what the customers felt like. You know, what, what was the emotional response? Yeah. Not, he was never asking, did it taste good? Mm. He knew it tasted good. <laughs> he was asking, what was the emotional response you had when it came out? And so That's awesome. we, we came back, you know, a lot over the course of the next year. Um, and, you know, more so than you would normally go to a fine dining restaurant. Because every time we went back, um, he, would, he would do another six, eight new courses in the midst of, like, some of the greatest hit stuff. And he was also writing a lot on eGullet at the time. And so I would go on there and, and read his stuff and go like, wow, this guy's really, he's a thinking chef, you okay. know? Um, and I had no, I didn't know any chefs. I didn't know, like, it wasn't like I was, I read, you know, books. I read Roman's books, yeah. you know, um, and 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 a lot of uh, MFK Fisher and, and you know, I had read a lot about wine and food. Okay. But when I was listening to him writing, I was finding like an interesting thought on, uh, just re going back through like, what's the point of bread service? <laughs> you know, I mean, like, I mean, like, you know, he had this. I remember he had this whole post on bread service. Like, sometimes we do it, sometimes we don't. What are you looking for in it? Like, do you need butter? Like, isn't that a lot of fat? Like, yeah. what you know? There's a lot of questions that you ask around something that you're like, no, you just throw a bread basket on your table, right? Yeah. And so, um, as I got to know him through, you know, just seeing him at the restaurant and all that. Um, I would bring occasionally instead of like, I think a lot of people bring like wine or beer or whatever to a chef. And I used to bring him some like old books with a couple of pages highlighted going like, Hey, I read on E. that you were talking about this. Well, guess what? Like 30 years ago, someone else was asking those same questions. And so I I knew he didn't have time to like read the whole of these books, Mm -hmm. but I used to point out some stuff to him. That's how we got to know each other a little bit. You know?
1: So what I'm hearing from you really is that you saw this, this, intelligent, curious chef that really understood at the end of the day, he's not selling food. He's selling emotions and he's, he's selling the experience and he was trying to get at what kind of experiences he was creating for his guests. So he could always fine tune and always just really make it that ultimate great emotional experience. Um, and you like that. Uh, but the other thing I think is really cool is how you guys took time to really develop that rapport. And, uh, And when did you really just like go in and pitch him the business idea or did he pitch you? Like, how did neither,
0: no, no, neither one of us pitched anything. We, uh, January 20th, 2004, uh, 2004, yeah, um, was my wife's birthday. And we went back in there and they set up a table. They had a kitchen table that they occasionally used, uh, but we had never sat in it. And um, so they put us in the kitchen. And that's when I realized that there was like a disconnect between, the kitchen in the in the dining room there like the dining room was in this old rooming house there it was it was charming in its own way but it wasn't very modern wasn't it didn't it didn't mesh with the food really the interior design wasn't thought it kind of was more classical okay. um and conservative and then the the kitchen and i had seen some other kitchens uh, you know i had never worked in a restaurant but i i, I had seen some other kitchens and i'd certainly seen like You know, your Gordon Ramsay-ish kind of stuff and the TV chefs and all that. And that kitchen looked like a Swiss watchmaker's shop. It was quiet. It was efficient. They were not just feeding us, of course. They were feeding, you know, 35 people, 40 people in the dining room. Um, Occasionally things would go south, you know, a little bit. But it was just like the movements were smart and fluid and calm and it never looked rushed and it never looked like people were screaming or anything like that. It was just like a really efficient, small, awesome operation. And we had this amazing meal. Um, and I have to say that like we had eaten there a couple weeks earlier and I would gotten to know him at this point. So this is going to sound like a total dickish thing to do. <laughs> but I, I emailed him and said, you know, uh, Grant, um, we're going to come back in and, again next week. And I, I apologize that we're in so soon because I it re- essentially required of him to make – different food. Like I knew what I was doing if I okay. came back in so soon. So I didn't want to come in two weeks after I'd just been there. Okay. I said, um, but it's, it's my wife's birthday and she said, there's nowhere else she'd want to eat in the whole world. Um, by the way, she's ethnically Latvian, speaks Japanese and loves Thai food. Good fucking luck. <laughs> <laughs> and I knew that that would send him into a challenging motor, a challenge yeah. mode. Like, okay. Okay. Hot shot. Like I need, I need a Japanese Thai Latvian meal, like go do that, and so when we sat down, like the second course was um, Latvian sorrel soup with braised hammocks, which is a traditional dish. Of course, it didn't look like that at all. Um, and he had Japanese courses and Thai flavors of the sea was an amazing course. I mean, I can remember the meal. You know, I could walk you through that meal twelve years later, thirteen years later. And so at the end of that, he had been watching us. We'd been watching him. And he came by, and I said, you know, Chef, I don't think anyone anywhere in the world, like any king or queen or anyone, had a better meal tonight. Wow! I said, and what I realize now is that there's a, a disconnect between your, your dining room here and your kitchen. And he kind of got defensive and said, oh, I think we have great service. I said, no, no, you do. You do. It's just not the same. So if you ever want to build yourself a restaurant, I'd like to help you do that. And he was like, you know. I didn't think that's what you did. I said, oh, yeah, I've never built a restaurant before, but I've, I've done some other businesses. And, you know, if you ever want to do that, I, I would love to work with you on it. And that was it. Okay. And he just said thanks for, for you know, coming in. And we said thanks for the meal. And um, Henry, the, the owner, who's just a great guy, still friends with him, um, you know, let us out. And then about four or five days later at six in the morning, I got an email from Grant basically saying you know if you're serious about that i'd like to come talk to you i've had offers from restaurants all over the world and you're the first person that said i don't know he asked me like what kind of restaurant do you want to build and i go i don't know i've never built a restaurant before okay and he was like that's the answer he was looking for because he wanted to build oh, his right. restaurant yeah, not someone yeah. else's restaurant and so that was it like he came by the house the next day and um i was working uh for a hedge fund um part-time at the time and and i quit and
1: uh, we decided to raise raise the money and build the restaurant. So a couple of things I want to just like touch on here. First, the idea that you've got to be... I mean, just to make an example of Grant, uh, he knew what he wanted to do. He had his visions. He had his ideas of what he wanted to do. And as soon as you start taking money from people, you, you start losing leverage. You start losing the opportunity to make it your own, to really have that... Uh, creative expression that you could with somebody like yourself who just says, "I don't care what you do. I just know that you're going to kill it." Oh, I, I very much cared. <laughs> well, we, I very much cared. <laughs> like,
0: let's be clear though. Like I wasn't saying, "Here's money, go do whatever you want." Okay. like it, it definitely wasn't that. It was more like, um, I want to. I, you know, one of the things I said is, um, he brought me a business plan, and I, I kind of paged through it, and then I put it aside, and I said, "I don't really care about that." And he was like, what do you mean? And I said, well, you know, it's a template. You're a chef. You're not a business guy. Your spreadsheets probably suck. I, w- I need to know if we can be friends. Okay. And he went, but I'm not friends with the people I work with. And I said, well, we wouldn't be working for each other. We'd be business partners. Mm-hmm. And if you can't be friends with your business mm-hmm. partner, you're screwed. So... um I approached it very, very differently, and basically said, "Like, look, I know how to put together things like an LLC. And I've worked with architects before, yeah. and I know what a plumber contractor does—not like the kind <laughs> that comes and fixes your thing under your sink, but yeah. like the kind of like has to plan for you know a major construction project." And so, I think a lot of chefs look at um, the design of a restaurant and they kind of go, uh, "They look at it like an art project, right?" And it certainly is that. But you also need to consider, um, you know, field demographics of where you're putting your mm-hmm. restaurant. Um, what neighborhoods are you doing? What are the rent things? I mean, we we would drive through the neighborhoods and we'd have like heat maps of incomes and really? things like, oh yeah, like I like I used tools that were from, you know, Grant didn't know Chicago. Like he was from Michigan That's and right. then he moved to California and then he moved to Evanston. Okay. So when I was like, you know, he had an idea of like what that his big thing was it needs to be a standalone building. It needs to have its own identity. Um, but it's really, really hard to find yeah. a standalone building that isn't inside something. Like we look at a giant space inside the Montgomery wards building here, um, where Groupon's located now and whatnot. And ultimately like, you know, it just wasn't right. It was too big of a scale for what we were trying to do. But like we talked through everything. I mean, you know, the very first meeting we have, and I've, I've talked about this a lot is that, the first question he asked me is why, why do um, fancy restaurants have white tablecloths? So, do you know the story?
1: Well, I mean, I understand what White says about ah,
0: so you don't know the story. So I don't this know is the good. I'm gonna put you good because I'm gonna put you on, uh, good, yeah. put you on the spot. So I'm gonna ask you what he asked me, and don't worry, I didn't know the answer. either. <laughs> uh, why do fancy restaurants have white tablecloths?
1: I don't know. Tell me.
0: Because the table underneath is a piece of shit.
1: <laughs> there we go. And
0: so. If you if you put your hands on it and you feel that, he's like, you'll subliminally know that. Okay. Like and this is true, by the way. This is not like, you know, next time you're at your fancy Michelin starred restaurant with white tablecloths, they put a pad under it and then they put on linens and underneath there is probably a piece of plywood. Okay. Um thick plywood, but plywood nonetheless. And um there's a lot of reasons for that. It's because restaurants are expensive and tables are expensive and all that. So they take that out over time. And, and he was like, you know, I, I want my t- restaurant to have beautiful, beautiful tables so that you can feel, like tactily feel that this is high quality. And I want those to be dark so that the plates pop mm. when they put them down. Now, when, he said, when, I, when you said he knows what kind of restaurant he wants to build, most people go, what's the concept of the restaurant? Mm. And we never talked about that. We talked about, okay, well, now if you have a table with no tablecloth, well, first of all, are there any Michelin-starred restaurants, you know, three-starred restaurants in the world in 2004 that didn't have tablecloths?
1: Probably not. No, was the answer. <laughs> we, I Googled every goddamn one of them.
0: And so we would ask really fundamental questions like that. And then I'd start going, well, what about condensation? You put ice in a glass and the condensation gets on the table. You get those little rings on the wood. Um, you're not going to do like a bar finish on it. Like, there's a million things. You know, it's illegal in the city of Chicago to put silverware down on a table without a napkin or a placemat. So, like, there's a million things like that where you start going, um, okay, I like that idea. Now, what does that mean practically? And do you have to felt like, so we started buying plateware, you know, eight months later. Um, and some of it was sharp. So that means we had to take steel wool and, you know, 240 grit sandpaper and all of our brand new. China had to be buffed down so it wouldn't scratch the wooden tables. So there's a million things that come from a simple idea like that. Um, One of the things that we asked was, how do you greet people at a restaurant? So I'll ask you. You go into – pick just imagine any restaurant. First restaurant pops in your head. You walk in the front door. What happens? You see a host. You see a host. What are they standing at?
1: A host stand? Stand.
0: Like what's on the host stand?
1: A computer or a piece of paper. Or and? A pen. And a phone, phone probably, yeah, right? Yeah,
0: So you get the old hand in the face with your finger up saying like, you know, instead of being welcome and greeting, like would you greet someone like that at your home? Absolutely not. No way. Yeah. So why is there a host stand? To, to greet the guests. Yeah, it's a fucking <laughs> terrible way to greet guests if you think about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, having um that barrier like between, you know, am I going to grant you entrance to my place is not great hospitality. So what we wanted to do is create um, a feeling of warmth. Okay. And we started talking about like, well, how do you do that? How do you get rid of a host stand and all that? And what we realized was that if we just had an, oh, like you walk in the front door and there's a person standing there, I could also feel a little creepy and we would yep. like role play this out. And then we built a, a 30 foot long hallway that put, went from really high to really low false perspective, Um, that was based kind of on the inversion of Shark Cathedral. Okay. So I, you know, if you study, if you go to Colgate University and you take a liberal arts education, they force you to study, you know, uh, Renaissance architecture. (laughs) And I never thought I'd use it, but what they did there is that they would create kind of doors that were smaller than normal. Okay. So that when you walked into a cathedral, um, you, you come into a, a very short area, a small door, you open a small door. And then you come into the grandeur of the cathedral, and you're made to feel small before God. It's a very intentional architectural thing. What we wanted to do is is do the opposite. We want you to walk into something with high ceilings, walk down the rabbit hole, not sure which door you're supposed to go in, and then by creating that tension, thinking maybe I'm not even in a restaurant. I'm not even in the right spot. You have yeah. to walk 40 feet before you even get you know a door pops open. Then all of a sudden you're greeted you relieve that tension. Yeah, I am in the right place. And this person just greeted me by name.
1: It's like building suspense, it's like building like, suspense. Yeah, yeah. It's
0: like, you know, it's like every great movie, every great play you see
1: the music crescendos and all, all that stuff. That. Yeah,
0: yeah. So we do that and we did that. That's just one example. We did that step by step of every piece of the experience. Oh, and then we figured, okay, if that's what we want to do, how do we, how do we make that happen architecturally? How do we do that physically in the space? How do you, put enough people through every day so that it works as a business as well. Like every chef in the world wants a 40 seat restaurant with a garden in the back.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I've seen so many business plans for a 40 seat restaurant with a garden <laughs> in the back. And the answer is, unless you're going to charge double, you can't do a 40 seat restaurant with a garden in the back and expect to
1: make money. Yeah. So one thing like that I have noticed, just listening to you talk up to this point, is you're always kind of challenging the standard uh, and really looking at things in a different way, and not trying to create another Michelin starred restaurant, but trying to create your restaurant together with Grant uh, to be really unique, to really be special. And you also really pay attention attention to the little, most minute things. So I mean, is that why is that the, that attention to the detail, the uh, attention to just really? the emotion of the, the guests that you think has contributed to your success. Plus maybe you're constantly challenging like challenging reality and our perception of reality. Like what is it exactly that you think has brought you to this level? Well, it's gotta be fun and delicious. So everything <laughs> I talked about so
0: far sounds like pretentious bullshit. Right. Um, and it would be if you took it that seriously. So you have to build that hallway okay. and then not talk about it. Yeah. You know, like the people have to just experience it. Um, but if it weren't, Fun and delicious, even at the Michelin three-star level, um, has to be fun and delicious. Okay. Um, the delicious part, I knew, that has nothing to do with me. Okay. Like, I, I, Let's be very clear. Um, Alinea was Grant's dream since the time he was a little kid. It was not my dream. I was a person helping him try to get to okay. that dream. Um, but, And so the fun part is very important, too. It's the attitude that your staff has. Mm-hmm. It's not being pretentious and looking not looking down at the guest it's it's going on the journey with yeah. them. Um, all of those details are important, but more than anything, I think what it is is that we we consistently just do whatever it takes to make it happen okay so I think a lot of people will not try something because in a restaurant because it's hard or it seems not reproducible, so a typical example would be like we used to have this course called lamb 86 okay so the chefs at one point um did a uh, kind of do this thing that grant calls flavor bouncing so they go like okay well what what goes with lamb you know and people go like well mint jelly you know and 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 rosemary and they start going through the list of all these different things right and between all the chefs they came up with uh, 86 different flavors that complement each other and Lamb um, and normally, what they would do is they would then take like ten or eleven or twelve of them and play with them and manipulate the textures and whatnot to to make that dish up and This time they said well let 's just do something crazy let 's make all eighty six of them and so they did every single one, every single thing you could think would go well with lamb um, in in different textures and forms and beautiful little artworks and whatnot. And instead, of, and then they put it on this glass that was like they made a template out of out of tape underneath it. They literally had fish tackle boxes with all the mise en place because there's 86 different things. Wow! And so the first time they do that, they do one of them, and then they prepare lamb, you know, four ways, and it's a mix and match. And they they made one, and it was so beautiful. And they literally like look at each other and they go, "How oh, in the holy hell are we going to do?"
1: <laughs> 28 <laughs> yeah. of these a
0: night so like each table would get you know 86 ingredients in the middle and then everybody would get the lamb and they could like go at it and you know doing that first one probably took three days really wow. and you go like there's no way there's no way we could do this you know uh, you know and then you just break it down, you yeah. just, like from there you figure it out, and that happens with well, every single thing, like the way we do our food costing now is completely different yeah. than anybody else in the industry. The way we do our labor um, you know planning is totally different
1: well i mean what's, let's let 's talk about that just the, the the power of the mind, the power of the creative mind when you say as soon as you say no that 's not possible or no, we can 't do that your brain, your brain shuts off, but when you say "How can we do it?" and get creative and really look at the possibilities. It's amazing what you can accomplish. Yeah. I mean, that?
0: Yeah. I mean, as long as you're not breaking the rules of physics, <laughs> right. You know, if you, you know, there's like the laws of physics are kind of, uh, you know, so, uh, immutable as we know them. I'll say that, but, okay. but we're not going to solve those in a kitchen anyway. Right. Um, and so at the, at the end of the day, you know, we've had some pretty harebrained ideas brought to us and I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't actually think that's, gonna happen you know so there are times of course where you say no but you know it's more like we want to make food float okay and like a lot of people wanted to make food float and i saw other people kind of use magnets and this and that well there's a lot of times we we thought of all that already it's a good first idea and it didn't really work because it wasn't playful it wasn't fun it wasn't delicious like it needs to be all these things yeah and eventually one day mike begali like came up with the balloon that's on the cover of you know all these magazines Mm -hmm. and whatnot now and it was playful like when you're a kid and you have a birthday they give you a balloon and all of a sudden he came up with an edible one that would actually float um, it wasn't what we thought of when we thought of floating food you know i mean like <laughs> you know what i mean um it it, it it but it but it worked because it was playful and fun and, and the concept was so simple so every great idea looks obvious in hindsight mm-hmm. and so you always want that one where are going
1: oh yeah that's it yeah
0: like and you know it when you see it, you know.
1: Yeah. So Nick, I'm really curious about uh kind of like how the, the relationship worked together because you said that this was Grant's vision his dream since he was a little kid uh, and you helped him do it so what role would you say you played and like what lane were you in during all of this
0: well like, different different ones at different times for linea back in 2004 i didn't know anything about restaurant service at all like so I, I literally not spent a minute working i, th- in a restaurant. I think
1: there's a, a lot of people that might be listening to this who have always dreamt of opening a restaurant who want to do it but might be in the same situation you're in where you d- you didn't have any experience doing it but you still provided a ton of value to the the group. So, well, like, yeah. You know, so there's there's like you know a lot of
0: times I still help a lot of chefs that are friends and whatnot. Um, a lot of people come to me now, and and what I'm always amazed by is that uh, if you're a great chef, a truly great chef, chances are you don't know shit about accounting. Okay. But <laughs> guess what? It's really important if you own a restaurant. Absolutely. Uh, you probably don't know much about how to set up an HR department, a payroll, insurance. Okay contractors bidding contractors building architects designers all those things um those are all things that either i was a familiar with and had already done before or b was probably pretty adept at figuring out okay. on the fly that Grant probably wasn't. Okay, so I did all that. I was basically acted as the as the GC on the construction project itself. We had a GC, but I, I was there every single day, every okay. day for fourteen hours a day. I lost twenty pounds wow. to, while we built the <laughs> We went from not knowing each other to opening Alinea a year year the day after our first um, investor meeting. Okay, so um, and I put together uh, two million and twenty thousand dollars of investment money. Um, for, to build a linea, um, put together three LLCs to structure the whole thing, uh, and I personally stayed at City Hall to make sure we had our liquor permit uh, <laughs> on time, which is really rare in Chicago back in those days. Yeah,
1: I've heard it's a horrible experience trying to get your liquor. You know what?
0: I story. sat at City Hall for three days. Um, wow. Where my I was already I already filed properly. I didn't use an attorney. I didn't use an expediter. Okay. I did. I looked at it. I was like, I can answer all these questions. What do I need an attorney for? So, I and the attorneys just for access, right? <laughs> but the attorneys weren't getting it done on time, you know, either, right? Okay. So I was like, well, screw that. I'm just going to do it myself. And then I went there for three days, sat at City Hall, brought the ladies like Subway sandwiches for there lunch you. and whatnot. And I, like the third day, they're like, you know, like no one's going to see you. And I said, well, you just want to keep getting free sandwiches for the next <laughs> two months. And I would explain to them, like, I'd bring pictures of like the construction. And I'd be like, look, I've spent the last six months of my life doing this. Just because I'm in some stack of papers back there, I don't want that to screw up. And eventually they let me back there. Okay. And we had our liquor permit. Wow. You know? And so, like, we took... I took every single detail personally. I quit what I was doing, and 18 hours a day every day for the better part of a year, I helped, I helped build a restaurant. Awesome. And at the end of that, what I didn't realize, and this is the part that, like you know freaks you out is that building it is gets you to the starting line <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't get you like in a way i was like yes opening day <laughs> we had fr- we had uh, oh my god we had frank bruni there on opening day head critic for the new york times michael roman was there like it became this thing like you know we did a really good we did all of our own pr we did all of our own websites wow. we did everything ourselves you know we run e-gullet every day we did the alinea project We did all of our own writing. Um, I I was very much like, we had a PR team. uh, We had a person we hired for PR for like four months Um, because ultimately I was like, well, I can write that. Okay. You know, so we were super hands on, both of us.
1: So, I mean, it sounds like you you were, the two of you were very clear from the beginning what lanes you'd be in. So he could focus on the back of house, you're focusing more on the, the front of house, contracting. Not
0: front of house. No, I didn't do any actual front of house. Well, I, again, I didn't yeah. know how to do that. I okay. did all the business okay. part. Yeah. The, the back of back of house, then. Yeah, I called it the other back of house. Yeah,
1: <laughs> um, So you guys had your lanes, um, and you were focusing on the detail. And it took you six years, was it? Six or seven years to, to open another restaurant. So, yeah. I mean, what was going on during that time?
0: Well, he or, almost died. That sets down. you back a bit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, you know, I, I thought when we were building a linea, that this would be a nice interim project in my okay. life, right? because what do I know about running a restaurant, so it helped this amazing young guy build his dream place. It would open, and like i wasn 't drawing a salary after it opened. I figured like I was the largest investor i didn 't want to be one of those people that like looks at it like there 's a lot of restaurants where the investors think of it as their living room. Mm-hmm and we had the opposite we had demarcation like if an investor wanted to come for dinner they pay like still mm. to this day like myself or any of the investors or even grant if he was going to eat we pay why is
1: that so important
0: um it's a business you know i i we love i love the art of restaurants i love dining out i still love dining out a couple times a week i lo- i love it but um that's someone's life mm-hmm. that they put into it and there's it's not you know business is not a four letter word in the rest of Of the world in America but for some reason I think there's a lot of chefs that stand in their own way a lot of restaurant owners who go well I don't really care about any of that but really it's a virtuous circle if the if the business makes money then you can reinvest it in the business provide better hospitality Mm -hmm. to your clients and therefore get more more patrons more diners and then make more money again it's it's a virtuous circle so you can always choose to reinvest as much as you want but I really wanted to set the whole thing up for success, and I, I'm very happy to say that Alinea opened May fourth, two thousand five, um, and we have never had anything remotely like a losing year. Um, we paid off the restaurant in a few years in terms of um, getting the investor investment back to investors. But then afterwards, you know, Grant was diagnosed with stage four cancer. I made mean, I was not making a joke that he almost passed away. Yeah, I mean, serious. it's like morbid. You know, it's gallows humor. Um, he had he was given six months to live. About two years after we opened, um, that was a very—I mean—to say that was a difficult time is a massive, on, under, yeah, massive understatement. Um, you go through something like this; it, exce- it exceeds your your wildest expectations in terms of uh, success points. You know, um, we were named by Gourmet Magazine the best restaurant in America eighteen months after yeah. we opened, and then you know, four months later, he's got stage four B tongue cancer and is given six months to live. Um, we got through, through that, um, in much the same way we did with building the restaurant. Like I, I buckled down and started doing a lot of research Mm -hmm. and found some amazing doctors. He, he went to five different doctors that told him to have his, his tongue cut out and his jaw cut off and he'd never taste again. And if, and they were telling me that if I let him not do that, or if I convinced him not to do that, or if he chose not to do that, that at some point he would be begging them to cut off his tongue because he wouldn't be able to swallow or breathe. And so eventually we, we found a clinical trial, and he was uh, obviously he's, he's almost 10 years cancer free now. Wow. Um, but after that, um, it was a very difficult time as well. So, you know, there's a couple of years there where um, he, you know, the rest of the world thinks you're cured, and you, as the cancer patient, think that you're just waiting for it to come back. Because if someone tells you you have six months to live, then they go, oh, never mind. <laughs> no, 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 you'll you'll yeah. be fine now. But you feel like shit. You've lost fifty pounds. You went through chemo, radiation, twice a day radiation treatments oh, all why, all I the while working fourteen hour days. Lost your taste. Lost your hair. Had that slowly come back, and then they say, yeah, you're you're. There's no evidence of disease. Wow. So that's a very different phrase than saying you're cured. They don't use the word cured ever after you go through something like that. Okay. What they say is that you have no evidence of disease. Okay. Um, and that just mentally is very tough. Mm. So
1: we, he, when he got out of cancer treatment, he immediately wanted to build another How restaurant. How long did it take him to, to after two years at- – into the restaurant, he was diagnosed, and then how long was he? It was about six months of treatment
0: uh, between diagnosis and then the treatment and all of that. But then you know
1: the recovery after treatment mm. is is years; it's mm. not weeks. So we're like maybe at five years before he was really kind of back to himself. Uh, yeah. Since opening the restaurant, yeah, um, and which I, it took you six years to get to the to next. Yeah, and so I. So, you, there's really no downtime. No, there's a, there
0: was a point at which he wanted to open in New York, and I just flat out lied to him and said, Oh, yeah, I'm working on it and stuff, and didn't because I I, I I didn't think I, we could raise the money. Mm-hmm. I mean, who's going to, I mean, like, it sounds terrible, but who's going to put up a couple million dollars to invest in someone who just had stage four cancer? Yeah. Um, and so, eventually, uh, and also, we wanted a compelling idea. So, building a second Alinea. Is I, I would tell him it's a lose lose lose. Mm-hmm. So if it's if it's the same as Alinea, that's not very interesting. It's not what we're about. So we lose. If it's worse than Alinea and we open in New York, well, that's obviously a loser. If it's better than Alinea <laughs> and Alinea sucks, we lose again. It's a triple lose. We can't win. There's no way to win. He'd be like going, "God damn it!" Like you know, it's like you're right, but like we're never gonna do anything else. We're never. He used to tell me, like, we're never gonna do anything else." Then this is, we're you know we're victims of our own success <laughs> And eventually, um, I said one time, like you know, I really got this craw in my head that I wanted to open up a classical French restaurant because the boy can cook French food.
1: Like he's like <laughs> well, he came up with the French Laundry, uh. well, He yeah yeah, and and
0: he <laughs> he he knows classical cuisine and just great great sauces and all that and you know there there aren't there's a few right now um that are going back to that because it's in vogue again but like back in 2010 i was like i really want to open up a, a french restaurant where you know it heaped on the butter and the cream and like you know you went home in the middle of the night and you're puking cause you're, <laughs> you got so much fat going through your veins um and he go oh yeah we could do that but i'd be bored in three months and i said you know I'd watch some of our cooks on the on the weekends, you know, on their days off cooking Thai meals. And, uh, and so I said, well, why don't we just change it? Why don't we just do, we'll be the best French restaurant in Chicago for four months. And then four months later, we'll go do Thai food for four months and then Italian. Work. And he said, oh, that's impossible. And I said, <laughs> no, that's it's what we do at Alinea already. Like you're already doing that. Yeah. Like, the entire Alinea menu, minus the black truffle, back then, the black truffle explosion yeah. and the hot potato, cold potato. Every, would be 20 new courses every season mm-hmm. so i'm like and plus like if we have a guidepost, like you know and then that still wasn't quite right and then one day he called me he said you know well, what kind of french food should we do for this thing anyway And we were looking at real estate and we hadn't found anything and, and i said well you know i just want to do like really old school classical he said yeah but it's like loire valley is it southern france is it paris like is it from 1970 and it's like that brand new nouveau cuisine thing or is it like 1920 and as soon as he said that we went yeah, we need to put a date on it. And I said, like, and we I did a little bit of research, and we found out that you know the Seine had flooded, in like I think it was 1908 or something like that, and and a scuffier opened at the Ritz in 1906. Okay, so we kind of went Paris 1906. That's awesome. I want to eat that. You don't need to a
1: simple idea. So as soon as you have a simple idea, it's obvious in hindsight. It's, I can't even like imagine the research I went into, like going into like recreating that it must have been so much fun too. It was it, it was, was stressful. It was stressful. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say it wasn't fun, but 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 as soon as we had
0: that, we instantly knew. And then weirdly, here this is really weird. In two thousand six, the Trump family came to us. Okay, the the same family that is our okay. interesting, yeah. controversial <laughs> president right now, because uh, they were building a, a, a building in Chicago, and I'd been told by people, um, like, yeah, you don't want to, we don't want to do that project because uh, halfway through, they're just going to change a contract on you. That's their mo. And so I said, well, okay, I, I'm not going to do it, but I kind of want to take the meeting. You know, this will be interesting. Yeah. So we had lunch. Um, I had lunch with uh, Ivanka and Don Jr. Okay. And the the plan that I did for the space that they were building, and I did it for myself, I never showed it to them, um, was uh, for the aviary. Um, and so it was kind of like uh, La Talie Joal Robuchon for cocktails. Okay, um, And, you know, the mise en place was, you know, instead of being... For a restaurant, um, it was for a bar. Because bars don't work like restaurants, but they should. Mm -hmm. So, you know, again, it was like one of those things as an outsider, when I started learning how kitchens work, it was fascinating. It was just endlessly fascinating to me how kitchens work.
1: Go into that a little bit. You said bars don't work like restaurants, but they should. How? Okay, so imagine
0: if you walk into your favorite Italian restaurant. Do you have a favorite Italian restaurant? No. <laughs> you need to <laughs> I, find I, one. I no, okay, catch story. I should find so, one. So so <laughs> let's say you walk in. Imagine your imaginary uh, favorite Italian restaurant, and you walk into the kitchen and you say to the chef, "Well, yeah, I'll have the, uh, you know, the the veal bolognese, and uh, my wife is going to have the the trout, and my uh, son's going to have you know whatever lasagna." You don't walk up to the chef and do that, and you you know, and you don't, and then that guy doesn't wash the the pans. And then figure out all the mise en place for all of those and okay. they cook them all at once. They split it up into twenty mm-hmm. different steps. And so you give someone your order, and then there isn't guess, one yeah. chef back there. There's five or yep. eight. And the guy who's on the Bolognese station, that's all he goddamn does all night. Okay. And he does it really consistently and well. But a bartender, you're expected to walk up to the dude, <laughs> yeah, he's gonna wash his he's gonna wash his shaker. And he's going to, like, clean the glassware. And now his mise en place is on a wall behind yeah. him. So he's got to dig out the various bottles, and he's got to juice the citrus if they're doing it fresh and all that sort of thing. And I kind of went, like, you know, I love craft cocktail bars, but, man, it can take you 40 or 50 yeah. minutes to get a couple of drinks. And that's inefficient as a guest. Um, it's inefficient as an operation. And I kind of went, well, well, why? Does this all need to be done all minute? You know, like why is it done like this? And what I realized is it's because bars are a very asymmetrical business uh, in terms of demand. So a bar on a Tuesday night is very different than a bar mm-hmm. on a Saturday night. So what most bars do is that they have that guy who's the bartender and that's it. They got mm-hmm. that guy who's a bartender and he's kind of just responsible for the whole of it. And then on Friday or Saturday when things get busy, they'll just throw a few more people okay. back there. And so what we decided to do was split that labor up very differently and to treat the production of the drinks identically as if they were plated dishes.
1: Okay, is this kind of where you got the idea for Talk Now? Because of the idea of a, uh, you know, you, you get like that rush on a Friday and Saturday, and you have you're telling people no, 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 you can't come here, and you're still making the same amount of money on a Friday or Saturday, you know, per course that you would on like a Tuesday or Monday. Yeah, So I mean that
0: is- talk talk was really about the same kind of. Anytime that there's like this weirdly lack, this highly inefficient process, you know, you call, I used to answer the phones at Alinea. We'd have four or five people answering phones, saying no to people 98% of the time. Okay, Why? That's, that's, that's terrible hospitality. <laughs> and every single person who called was basically saying, I would like to give you business. And so, you know, it's, it's like you call and you go hi, I'd like to come in four weeks from now on my anniversary. And you just go, I'm very sorry, but we're fully booked. Is there anything else I could help you with? And they can't see what you're seeing, yeah. so they think that you're lying to them <laughs> no matter what, right? Yeah. And when you hang up the phone, you know that they felt bad. That guy's wife's going to be pissed at him. He's now calling American Express, and then that American Express concierge is going to be calling you an hour from now for the same dude. And it's going to happen over and over and over again, literally hundreds of times a day. Um, and even a restaurant that is not as packed as Alinea was in terms of demand on a Friday and Saturday night in a big city, everyone knows seven o'clock on Saturday, you got to plan way ahead. Yeah, Put it all online, make it totally transparent, make the price move in two directions so that it's a lot cheaper on a Tuesday night at nine thirty than it is on Saturday night at eight o'clock. And, and, get off the goddamn phone. Like who did
1: you like to call anyone anymore? Me personally? Yeah. I mean, I'm old school. I like, you like calling people. people. Yeah, I'm weird though. So I get, I know. I, I mean, I'm I don't alone. like, I might have one or two friends that are actually okay with it. Yeah. I don't want not call <laughs> me, man. Like just,
0: you know, it's like, it's like everyone texts now. Um, we're, we're products of information. Yeah. So I think that there's very few industries where, they ask you to call on the phone anymore. Mm-hmm. Like my dentist wants me to, you know, they call me and go, hey, we got a cancellation for next week, Thursday at noon. Do you want to come in? And it's like, fuck no, just put it on. <laughs> I just want to see your whole schedule. And then if, if I've got a last minute cancellation, I've got some time in my day and night, it's about that time I should go to the dentist. Yeah. I just want to see what you got this week. I can pick it. Yeah. Why is that not on there? I don't know. And so like open table surfaces information in a way that's good for only one person. You know who okay. that person
1: is? the rest or the, the guests. No Wait. open table. It's oh, well, only right, good for right. them Yeah, yeah, yeah because yeah. <laughs> what they
0: do is they just say to the restaurant, there's nothing within three hours of your reservation. Like I asked for Saturday, this happened to me this weekend. I wanted to go to the restaurant on Saturday night. It says there's nothing within three hours of your reservation. And then they surface the following Tuesday at 7 PM. I don't want to go next Tuesday. <laughs> that's not, I'm asking for this Saturday. I'm trying to sort out my Saturday <laughs> night. People, I don't care about next Tuesday. Show me everything you got for Saturday. And then you know what they do instead? They, sh- they move me to a different restaurant because Open Table makes a dollar per cover. Mm-hmm. They don't care if they go to my restaurant or someone else's. So I don't want advertising for yeah. some restaurant down the street. And furthermore, because they charge that dollar per cover, restaurants don't put on their prime time because they know they're going to fill their 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock on Saturday night. So that inventory is not there. So what does everyone do? They pick up the phone and they call the restaurant. As soon as OpenTable says, no, there's nothing available, people intuitively know, well, maybe if I call, there'll be something. They don't know why that is. (laughs) But they've been conditioned to it over 15, 18 years of OpenTable. So I got very frustrated. I hated OpenTable. It's really old software. It was built in 1998. It still looks like it. It looks like it's written on Windows 95. And, you know, I came from... You're working in a restaurant where everything's perfect. Then you use this janky, shitty software. And so um, I just started – I just wanted to build my own. You was know, and it, Was just, it
1: originally for Next? Or? It was originally for Next. Okay.
0: Um, but it was only because I could get away with that for Next. So my managers at Alinea wouldn't let me do the things I wanted to do with Alinea. And I was not involved there on daily service. I did the marketing and I did a lot of the writing and this and that. But I did the bookkeeping and all that. But I didn't, I didn't do service. But next and the aviary were really ideas that were born of of sort of my ideas and my concerns, and then Grant and I mashed them up together, you know, so that they were our own. But mm-hmm. it was definitely as much me as as him. And one of the things I said is like, for this one, I'm selling. I'm gonna, I'm going to book everything ahead, and so I couldn't. I called OpenTable, and wanted to get to their API and and do this unique idea and. They had no interest in it, and um, I talked to theater ticketing companies and places like that, and they had no interest in it. So I hired a single programmer and uh, designed the program, and, and we sold $562,000 wow. prepaid dollars of prepaid reservations in the first 24 hours. This
1: is 2014?
0: 11. 11. 2011. Talk started in 2014. Okay. But my homebrew software okay, gotcha, gotcha. was um, for the next opening day in 2011, April okay. of 2011. Um, and then we moved it over to the aviary and then some other restaurants started calling me. And then 2014, I wrote that blog post, um, in July of 2014 that, um, you know, there's some copycats kind of did apps, but they didn't really, they hadn't worked in the restaurant industry and they didn't really understand what what I was trying to do. So I wrote this long blog post and it got read a few million times. And I realized, (laughs) yeah, I I realized, uh, just like this podcast, right. Um, and I realized very quickly, um, that, it wasn't just restaurants that had this problem. Okay. It was a lot of different time-slotted businesses. Remember, we were talking I was a derivatives trader, right? Yeah, yeah. And derivatives are all about the time value of, of probabilities. Um, so, you know, what are the odds that something happens? You know, it's no different than horse racing or whatever. And, and if, if you look uh, in a restaurant and you've got, you know, 80 seats if 20 of them are empty at 4 p.m. on Saturday, what are the odds? What is the probability that you're going to sell all 20 with walk-ins that night by eight o'clock? And will you turn them at 10 o'clock? I mean, there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of math and variables and and you can, you can do Monte Carlo simulations on this. You could do all sorts of stuff. And I was a math, you know, quant geek, right? So, um, so I look at the, the problem of stacking a restaurant. Um, it's a very interesting problem. And so, um, people have been doing the blue plate special for hundreds of years. And you, know, you come in at five o'clock on a Wednesday, the early, you know, with all the gray haired folks and they're going to be there at, you know, we'll, we'll take 20% off your menu. Well, it feels kind of desperate. You know, it's like you're running a group on mm-hmm. for your restaurant. Um, but, but moving prices in two directions feels very equitable. Um, and it doesn't feel like a discount. It just feels like, well, it's a demand based pricing yeah. structure. It's, it's different. So we did that, and we did that with tremendous success. For a for next first year, we didn't just sell every table every night. We sold every seat wow. at every table for the first year.
1: And I, did I see some stats that your like your sales went up like fifty three percent or something?
0: Like- yeah, I mean when we moved over to the when we moved the aviary over to the system. Uh, check average went up instantaneously, wow. um, you know, from like I want to say forty eight to seventy two dollars, like instantaneously, um, because people can't buy what they can't see. Yeah. So when you just make a reservation and show up at a restaurant, and you make a mutual promise. You you don't know that there's a kitchen table or that chef's counter, yep. or if you are that forty seat chef's restaurant with a garden in the back, mm-hmm. no one knows that I can eat in that garden <laughs> in the back until you show up. So, um, but now you can book it. You, you can, can book it. Yeah, 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 and, and it takes. Look, there's some walk-in-only restaurants that I really, really love. I'll give you an example, and I'm not beating on them because I'm love. (laughs) i saying I love the restaurant. State Bird Provisions in San Francisco is a great restaurant. Um, It's a walk-in-only policy, and there's like a line that forms two hours ahead of time. I'll never be able to go there again because there's no way I'm standing in a line at 3 o'clock to get in at 5 o'clock. And then when you go to that line, you know who half the people in line are? Task Rabbits. Okay. They're people who go onto an app and they just hire someone to stand in line for them. <laughs> That's no more equitable or or whatnot either. So, you know, it's like just adjust your pricing mm-hmm. so that I don't want to stand in line. I'm happy to pay a little bit more on a Saturday night. Yeah. I'm happy if I come in at eleven o'clock on a Wednesday to pay a little less. Yeah. So it makes sense. And and then in 2014, Brian Fitzpatrick left Google to uh, he was the founding uh, engineer of the Chicago Google office. Built it from like you know, eight guys to 800. Okay. And, um, he read the blog post and I emailed him and said, you know, it's someone I knew and, uh, you know, we kind of geeked out over stuff together. And I, I, uh, said, I think this is a viable business. I think the industry is ready for it, but I need to completely rebuild the software. Okay. Um, and so we, we started the company in, in December, 2014, Last November, we closed the seven and a half million dollar funding round. Um, we have thirty four employees right now. And Intak is I think being. I meant all of them, just yeah, on the probably you a lot of them. Yeah, um, and we, I think uh, TAC is now in fifteen countries wow. and forty five cities. And we just now started a sales and marketing department. Like all that happened organically. Um, we've processed, last I looked, about one hundred and eighty million dollars of prepaid reservations, and that's for, you know that's in an industry that everyone said you'll never You're pre sell a reservation. <laughs> I would anticipate um, we're doing about fifteen million a month right now, about five hundred thousand dollars a day in prepaid reservations wow. for other restaurants. I would anticipate that next year um, that will go up to something like a million and a half dollars a day. So we could get to like a billion dollars in prepaid reservations through the system,
1: Man, Within I, the next year or two, I just I'm curious what you're going to do with that. Like having that be, is it? I mean, it's, it's a different business from what you have with the Alunia Restaurant Group. Um, but what that, what the doors that's going to open up for you and partnerships for the future, I can only imagine. Well, I, I can say
0: that one of the coolest things is that I have a window into the restaurant industry that I think almost nobody else in the world does. Um, because I've talked to probably 250 restaurants and restaurant owners in the past year, ranging from your mom and pop pizza place yep. to like, you know, I think we have like five Michelin three stars on the system right now. So um, people like Thomas Keller, Huston Blumenthal, um, Daniel Humm, and Will Godaro at EMP. Mm-hmm. Um, Dominique Crenn is on the system. You know, we have all these great, great chef operators on the system. So we're taking the best practices of all these different folks and baking them into the mm. system. So even if you're that, that pizza parlor with a $20 check average, you have no desire or aspiration to ever get a Michelin star, and most people do not. Mm-hmm. Um, you still get like the daily service reports that they get at Love Madison Park. You get at your restaurant, and guess what? They thought through that with great detail. They provide great hospitality. All those hospitality notes are baked in the system. So we we take the best practices of the best restaurants, and then and then make it easy um, to hit just a big old button on your screen and have it pop out automatically without any labor. We save at our, just a linear loan, we save about $400,000 of labor a year just on all the processes. Wow. That talk takes care of.
1: I need to know, are you, are you a hard stop at three o'clock or do we no, have no, no. no, time? you can go, go. Okay, cool. Um, man, there's so many things I want to touch on. You've just painted such a beautiful picture on the, just how this all came into frame and like, the value of talk we've just learned so much about, but I kind of want to know, like if you could just like narrow it down to like three, like just huge aha moments for you or just big takeaways about what you know to be true as far as what it takes to be successful in this industry. Wow. Wow, That's a, that's really,
0: that's really hard. (laughs) (laughs) That's really hard. Um, I'm going to do it without, uh, without making it just like three or whatever. Um, But I, I, I will say that, The first big mistake, which is super obvious, and the reason that I spent so much time with talk was because nobody, nobody thinks of how to, what I was talking about a little earlier, which is how to, how to, um, how to book a restaurant. And when I mean book it, I mean you're booking template at night. Um, I, I looked at one restaurant uh, that was starting to use talk and they literally put, I think they had like 22 tables in the restaurant they would sell um, one table every half hour. Wow. And I was like, what's that? Then I looked at another restaurant and they would just flat seat everything all the time. So they would just go like, if we got 80 seats, let 80 people in whenever the <laughs> hell they want to come in. And that's because open table has this flex table yeah. function where you can hit a button and say like, well, my average turn is an hour and 20 minutes. And so if someone books at five, we'll make it available again at you know, six yeah. six thirty with a 10 minute buffer. And then again, it, at, you know, uh, eight o'clock or whatever, um, and that's really bad. I call it the flex table clusterfuck <laughs> because um, essentially what you're doing is on a weekday, if you think about what's going to happen, is that everyone's going to die in kind of early, okay. and then you're going to have all your turns at the same time. On the weekend, your prime everyone's going to book prime time. Mm-hmm. It's going to backfill towards from seven o'clock. If you have a two-hour time, it's going to backfill to five o'clock, and no one's eating at five o'clock because they're yeah. still at work. You have to take control of your template every night and you have to make it different on a Tuesday than a Saturday because they're freaking different days of the week. I feel <laughs> like I'm like Louis C. Garza. Like It's like Tuesday starts with a T and Saturday yeah. starts with an S. Um, they are completely different. People get way more drunk and spend more money on Saturday. Yeah. Like, we all know those things. And yet, we don't do any if any money, you, yeah. well, if you look at every other system, booking system, they have one template. It goes forever into the future yeah. and every fucking day is the same well, that's not the way the world works. Mm-hmm. We know that your Friday night, you you treat your body differently than you do. You abuse it far more on Friday than you do on Tuesday because Wednesday me. you need to wake up <laughs> early. Um, and so consequently, um, that's number one. People make that error tremendously yeah. over and over again. I see it all the time. Um, when we show them what talk can do, they don't even understand why you'd want to do that, which blows my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I explain it just as I did, like, they're kind of like, oh yeah duh, like didn't know you could do that what what should we do like they don't you know, they can of go well what what should we do?" and I'm like, well, you're Tuesday, you got treat differently mm-hmm. than Saturday so I ask people to think about like you know when you book your restaurant like um you know accommodate walk-ins don't prioritize mm-hmm. them, try to plan you know yeah. um i I think the second thing uh, so I'll leave that one go okay. <laughs> um, the second thing um, that one sounds self serving but it's not it's not that I'm trying to sell talk it's that I built talk because no one else could do it. Well, here's it the thing. That you built it for yourself. So I like built it for myself. Yeah, right. so you solved your problem. Right. So um, the second thing is that I think people look at, at food costs mm-hmm. and, and labor costs very strangely. Um, everybody knows their food cost percentages. So if I go into a restaurateur, there's three percentages and a number they'll know, you know or two percentages and a number. And that is if I say, What's your food cost, what's your labor cost, and what's your check average? They will be able to go like, Well, my food costs run thirty-two mm-hmm. percent, my labor cost is thirty-five percent, and my check average is forty-two dollars. They know all that, and all three of those are meaningless. You can't take percentages to the bank. You want to double your check average tomorrow? Double all your prices on your menu. Of course you might not have any demand, <laughs> yeah. but your check average will now go to eighty-four dollars. Yeah. Uh, so what you really want to figure out is your revenue per seat minute, what's your yield? Um, and you want to, beyond that, understand on food cost percentages, you want to look at it and go, what, what are your dollars per cover that you're spending? Okay. Because if I go to um, a chef and I say, hey, you're, you're, last month you ran 38% food cost, that's way too much. They're going right. to go like, they're just going to look at the most expensive thing on, on their on their current menu and they're going to go, well, I guess if I'm getting this grade of beef, I could go down a yeah. grade and I'll save like this many dollars. That takes quality out. Like That's mm-hmm. not what you're asking them to do. What you're actually looking to do is be more efficient. You're not looking to cut quality or raise – You know, look, if you raise prices, guess what? Your food cost percentage goes down. Mm-hmm. It's just a numerator denominator, and it's a bad way to look at it. The way that we look at it with, with all of our chefs is that we show the dollars that they spend per food category and by vendor every week in what's called a Merameco chart. And it's a it's like beautiful little chart It shows 100% of all their spend. And it color codes it by big old boxes you know, and, and dollars. And so if something – if they spent $80,000 that, uh, that week on some food and $20,000 on something else, that box is four times the size. It's very visual. And the great thing about that is that um, over time, someone who is not an accountant, who is a chef – who is cooking, trying to make great, delicious food, will suddenly look at it and go, there's no way that we spent that much money on the (laughs) fish vendor last week because that bubble just got bigger and there's no fucking way I bought that extra fish last week. It didn't happen. So what you'll start seeing is they're like, oh, they raised the price of that fish. And if we had a stack of accounting in the kitchen for them to go through, they would never notice that. So by making these processes dollar terms and very visual, both in labor for our for our front of house management and, and our HR department and by making it very visual for the chefs in terms of what they're buying and what they're cooking, um, they, they're constantly looking at it going like, it, like, like where can I save, you know, where can I be more efficient, um, with the food I'm buying, what I'm making, mm-hmm. whatnot. And so, it's just a way of driving down yeah. um, costs while keeping quality high.
1: And just having that like that value of, that core value of just constantly challenging the situation and what you can be doing better. Yeah, I mean,
0: there's a restaurant guy that I know who's really successful here in Chicago, and he was like, yeah, my, my restaurant group did 18% last year. Like, I don't want to rock the boat. And I'm just going like, you know, well, you're only going in one direction then. <laughs> like, the things that you can control, you're yeah. deciding not to control, so you're not going to improve that. Yeah. And I'm positive you're going to go down then because other costs are going to go up. Yeah, like you know. And so I I, I wrote this thing. Um, I'm, I'm I've got more pieces of it coming, but you know I, I call it the restaurant apocalypse. That isn't. I mean, at the end of the day, um, every it's a really hard business, but every hard business is hard. Like mm-hmm. no one's giving it away. When I was a trader, there was twenty thousand guys on the trading floor that wanted me to lose money every day <laughs> because it was a zero sum game, and if I lost money, they made money. Yep. Um, The thing about restaurants is like I hope a great restaurant opens up right next door to me because it just makes the neighborhood better and it makes it like, hey, let's go to that area that has all the great restaurants. Um, But I see so many restaurant owners getting in their own way on stuff, you know, and at the end of the day, they spend money – and this is my third point learn to use learn to do what we're doing here right now, right like so that, yeah, I'm going to set a little scene here for you we're in my office uh, here we got kind of these lofty like former apartments above the restaurants, and um he's got a laptop he's got a mixing board he's got some professional we got our own little
1: we got our own little studio there here. will be pictures in the in the show okay, yes. great, yeah, so we got our own
0: little studio here, and you know using social media using getting your message out in a manner that you control and then owning the means to do that, mm-hmm. which is why I'm pointing out your equipment here. Um, it look It's really nice equipment. Thank you. Um, in, 30 years ago, this was a radio <laughs> studio and it would have cost $100,000, right? Um, so similarly, we have our own photography and we deal with our own websites and we don't hire outside consultants and we do Facebook and Instagram targeted advertising for our restaurants. Um, we Sure, we get a ton of great press, and I'm really happy for it. But when you sat down here, what did I say?
1: I'd rather do this than the New York Times. Yes. Should I have not said the New York Times? <laughs> no, it's totally fine.
0: It's, I love the New York Times, yeah. and I love it more now than ever because we need it now more than ever. But um, at the same time, I, would, I will sit down and do a podcast or a blog every single day. And one of the things I did for years and years and years is I set up Google alerts for all of our restaurants and every day when I'd get some random blogger or some random reviewer, um, I would write to one person a day saying, Hey, thanks for, you know, I saw that you put me up on your, your blog and you know maybe they've got like 10 followers, mm-hmm. and then I would write to them, email them, and say, like, I'm so glad you enjoyed your time at Alinea. Like, I do hope you come and see us again soon. Oh, and by the way, like, you know, we got this picture of you while you were there that you might like. And people were like blown away. Wow. And, and I did that to one person a day for like 10 straight years. Mm-hmm. And that's better than any you know, $4,000 a month PR company you could ever hire, because they don't care about you the way you care about you. You know, and they don't care about your customers the way you do. Mm. So those are my three things learn how to deal with your food costs in dollar <laughs> terms, learn how to book your
1: restaurant, do your own PR. It's great. It's all been great. And uh, we're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors, We'll be right back. Whether you're just getting started in the restaurant business or if you're a seasoned veteran, there's always something new to learn that never ends. <laughs> but what hasn't changed is the time you get to learn. Tipsy has taken everything you need to know and put it in one easy to access location with tipsy. You can learn what you want when you want by accessing an incredible library of video courses on topics like food and beverage service marketing and business operations. It's basically a one stop shop for everything you need to run a successful restaurant. You can also use tipsy as a staff training tool through the management platform. You can select the courses that matter to you and schedule them out to your your employees in a few simple clicks. Individual memberships are only $9 a month. And as a restaurant unstoppable listener, you receive an extra 50% off your first month. So what are you waiting for? For $4.50, you can have access to this incredible resource right now. Just find the Tipsy Banner in the show notes. After studying over 300 successful restaurant professionals, I've discovered that to be successful in the restaurant industry, you need skills that go far beyond knowing how to cook. All of our guest mentors are damn near experts on business operations, systems, and culture. That is not a coincidence. That is what it takes to be successful. This is exactly why I tell everyone I know who wants to open a restaurant or is in the restaurant business to get a membership to restaurantowner.com. For only $29 a month, you have access to over 300 templates, including business plans, checklists, forms, manuals, and procedures. In addition, you have countless resources at your fingertips. To join a community that has helped over 40,000 restaurant owners make better lives for themselves, head over to restaurantowner.com slash unstoppable and because you are restaurants unstoppable listeners you will get the first 10 days for only one dollar again that's restaurants slash unstoppable all right we're back and the first question i have for you nick is what is your it factor your habit your traits your characteristics something you believe most contributes to your success Intellectual curiosity. Okay. Or just curiosity. But I'm going to call it intellectual curiosity. I love it. Dive into that just a little bit and why that's so important in a couple sentences.
0: You know, I can't imagine waking up in the morning and not not asking the question that every four-year-old asks, which is why, (laughs) (laughs) you know? And so a lot of times I just, whether we were designing the restaurant or operating it, what we're doing or in talk in our business the the funda- most fundamental question is why like whenever we're trying to sell yeah. talk what I tell our sales folks is don't say how it does something say why it mm-hmm. does it and it's because I know we know the answer why mm-hmm. better than anyone else does um, I was a philosophy major I yeah. want to know why like you know
1: and just the the power of like gathering knowledge and just having more information more data in your subconscious mind helping you make those decisions and you seeing the world differently like you've seen the world differently so many examples of how you just turn the industry upside down and challenge reality yeah (laughs) and and it's like
0: grant i mean it started out like grant's exactly the same way he's like you know why do restaurants have tablecloths why do people he literally said to me like why do they put candles on the table why are candles romantic (laughs) yeah like, I mean, I can come up with answers for that. Mid lights, you yeah. know, uh, soft light, like people <laughs> look better. It's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like having beer goggles, like on the table, like, you know, but like it's, they're not inherently romantic. Yeah. Like it's just like, that's we're a, just led to believe that. Right. So what else can we do? That okay. would be a little different. Awesome. So we always try to do that. Why?
1: What is your biggest weakness?
0: Oh, I'm totally short-tempered ADD kind of person. Okay. Like, um, I could talk about stuff like this all day because it's so fascinating and interesting to me, but I
1: I I just I lose focus very quickly. I get that. <laughs> uh, what is one piece of advice you have for leading others? Learn how to do it yourself first. Okay. What do you mean by that?
0: Um I mean, you know, you're not gonna do this with your heart surgeon or anything like mm-hmm. that. But it's very, very, very difficult to hire away a problem. Um, and what I mean by that is like, you know, if you are a chef or a restaurant owner and you go, Well, I don't really know how to do social media advertising, so I'm just gonna hire someone to do that. Mm-hmm. That's bad. Like you have to know how to do it first so mm-hmm. that you could figure out whether or not the person that you're you're leading the person that's you're, you're saying here's my brand and I want you to yeah. do something with it. You need to know it um, at least decent enough to know who's great. Yeah. Um, and you know, I always tell people like, and they're like, yeah, I, I don't have time for that. And I was like, make time for it. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it, it's not a lot like, you know, spend five, six hours, eight hours, you know, a week learning something. So I always try to, um, to lead from a point of knowledge or at least, know what i'm ignorant of Mm. so i can't i'm not a programmer but i i lead uh, you know a team of programmers here and and so i understand the problems they're working on and i also understand the limits and scope of what they're able to do Mm -hmm. with the skills that they have so i never ask them to do something that's just like you know what i call like a time machine like something that breaks the laws of physics you know um and so that's really important you have to you have to lead from a point of knowledge
1: Awesome. You know, what is one question you look for maybe early on when you were trying to build your team, like during the interview process or you're trying to surround yourself with incredible people? Like what's a question or quality you're looking for when you're surrounding yourself? I, I,
0: I actually always, I rarely interview people. I always let them interview me. Okay. Um, and what I try to do is I let them know that it's a self selecting process. So if I was interviewing you here, I'd be like, why do you want to work here? you know, what, what is, what is going wrong? You know, here's everything wrong with, here's what you think this position is. Here's what's different. Does that bother you? And if, if people self-select into it, like they want to be successful. I don't know anyone who wants to get a new job, go somewhere where they don't like working and then be really shitty at it. Right. (laughs) So like, that just isn't going to happen. So when, when I do, when I interview people, um, assuming that they've gotten to the point where like, you know they're in for a real interview and all that. That means they probably have something that we we like or a okay. skill set or whatnot. So at that point, I just I really just want to I want to know if, if they're intellectually curious. One of the questions I always used to ask people back when I, I you know had a trading firm is I would say um, and this is a great question because it it's not the question you really think it is. But I'll say what are the last ten books you've read? And first of all, I, I read a fair amount, a little less now than I used to and it's really hard to remember 10 books. It's just really hard. Um, so people would get really panicked. And so it was a great filter to see if people were were comfortable in their own skin. Okay. So if someone said like, oh, actually, I haven't read a book in five years. I go, what do you do with your free time though? How do you learn? Yeah. And if they go like, well, actually, what I do is I'm, I'm a woodworker. Every chance I get, I, yeah. I build, I, I'm a carpenter on the side and I build woodworking or I, I'm a musician and I, I, my, my equivalent of that is that I play guitar for three hours every night. Like, that's a fine answer. I really don't give a shit if you read or not. <laughs> but like, I want to know that like you have something that you're curious and passionate yeah. about. Or it's just striving to be better at something. Striving to be better yeah. at something. And so that's everything. Attitude is everything. Awesome. Like, you know, it's almost any
1: job minus the heart surgeon thing, okay. you know. Beautiful. So uh, what is one thing that you're currently struggling with, like a challenge right now? How are you getting over that?
0: Huh. Well, so we're I can't say too much about this, but we're working on a new place. Okay. Um, just below where we're sitting, we have two spaces. Um, they've been empty for the better part of a year, which means we're paying rent on them and they're not doing anything. And um, we, I want very much to build um, a new kind of music venue there okay for a couple days a week and so there's a lot of struggles around um how to build it out in such a way that it's both great music and great art and great food and drinks all in one place
1: and uh how are you dealing with that
0: grant and i put each other in a room and we beat each other up (laughs) mentally until we we get to something. I want to ask more
1: questions but I don't want you to give too much away. No it's
0: not that it's like the reason so the reason it's not because I want to be secretive or like have some big reveal it's because in the past um, I'll say something like well right now this is what we're you know we're thinking this. Yeah. And then six months later like someone (laughs) someone will have I'll I'll be reading about this other thing that we're not doing in like 10 different newspapers. Yeah. And I'm like yeah we, we we it was just an idea. We were never <laughs> going to do that. And so I'm really careful about what I say we're doing now. Cause it's not like 2004 and now yeah. people actually pay attention more. Yeah. So, um, so we're, um, we're working on a potential music venue cool. that combines it with great food, great music. And there's a lot of logistical challenges to doing both. Well, like I've, there's some great music venues, There's yeah. a lot of great music venues in Chicago. There's a lot of great food in Chicago. I, and there's some people have tried to combine both. Um, where both of either gotten worse or you go like, yeah, I go there for the music, but I'd never want to eat there. Yeah. Right. So
1: why do you think that happens? I don't know why <laughs> I, it's like, I, you know, it's, it's,
0: it's because I think people aren't willing to pay rent for a year and yeah. do nothing. Okay. Like we won't build it until we go like, yeah, that's okay. We got it. Nailed it. Yeah.
1: yeah. Cool. All right. So, um, what's one thing besides food that you guys do really well? That separates you from other restaurants. Pick any one of your restaurants. I mean,
0: that, yeah, it's just a lot. I mean, it's, not, it's not like I'm trying to. I'm trying to think. You know, what one thing is, right? Yeah. Um, and so, obviously, food service, the business part, all that sort of thing. Um, I, I think what it is that we do differently than everyone else. Is, is what I was talking about earlier which is that we 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 don't censor ourselves um, on the first idea. Okay. So the first idea that we have we're willing to hit some rope, but then we don't serve that first idea ever. So so you don't censor the first idea, but you have to get to idea number like iteration number 12 of idea number 7, you know. Okay. Um, we're we're very 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 good about being patient with with stuff. Um, And it doesn't see a customer until it's, I mean, we, the, the table plate concept at Alinea, that dessert was a year and a half in the making hot potato, cold potato took about nine months. Um, There's just like seemingly simple stuff takes a long time. Mm. Martin worked on the porthole infuser (laughs) for the aviary for over a year.
1: So how do you, how do you test those things? if you can't release them, how do you evolve it? It's just behind the scenes.
0: So here's what we really do. I, this is what I should have said. We edit better than anyone else. Okay. Okay. So getting it down to like the core idea is that like you could be a great writer. Yeah. Like if, if this, I mean, obviously I'm talking just out my ass for an hour here, (laughs) but if you were going to make this a great podcast, you would, you would go like, and it were, you know, me, we would edit it down to like, Four minutes of Nick being a genius, <laughs> but instead you get like the hour of like me just ranting they're, about they're right? getting it all, <laughs> but you but you know what I know, but you know what I mean though it's like we're we edit yeah, and um you know it's like i when we were when I was working on life on the line writing that book, um I would get like all the notes from Grant and whatnot, and then I'd write, and it took me about six months, and I would often write twenty thirty pages in a night, wow, and then. 2 days later i would just look at it and go yeah i'm never going to use that okay um there was editing is everything in life i mean you have to produce like every day and then you have to be willing to edit hack it up you have to edit and so you know it's like we could have put out the porthole martin could have done the porthole in iteration 3 not 30 okay and what makes him a great designer is not that he has great ideas. It's that he has great
1: edits. Okay. I got you. So what's one book you already mentioned that you're a huge reader. So what's one book or you were at one point that's a must read for anybody who wants to be a greater person or just restaurant. Oh God, general? that's so hard. And you can't say Danny Meyer saying the table cause it's recommended way too much on the show. Oh, actually I don't like that. Book. Uh, oh really? Okay. Tell so me I'll why do, you don't like it. <laughs> um, cause I, I it doesn't do anything actionable.
0: Okay. So I, you know, a lot of, okay, just in general, restaurant books. <laughs> I think books, I just hit a chord right now. No, restaurant books Nick's suck. Nick's bouncing in his <laughs> No, no, yeah, I know, I know. So, so yeah, it's just really funny because I, I, think, um, I think restaurant books suck um, in general. Okay. So, like, if you want to learn something about life, like, read, read, like, Tolstoy. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, don't, like, you want to understand what makes people tick, what makes them emotionally, um, you know, giving of themselves? What makes them walk out of a restaurant and go, you know, God, that was great, or Whoa, that was different or unique? And set, you know, you know, you know, study Samuel Beckett and how he can use so few words and say so much. Like, there's, there's, there's so many great examples of art and literature, and and we always look to. Uh, you know, I always look to movies and film, and 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 you know, just great playwrights and and all of that. Like, go to source material, man. <laughs> like, like
1: fuck business books. <laughs> Give me one book uh, yeah. that we that I can put in the show notes to get people. Uh, to the, the I,
0: I, I really. So I I can't because there's so many books. Like, um, one of the most impenetrable books I've ever tried to read, and I've never gotten through it is uh. Goodell Escher Bach, The Eternal Golden Braid. Okay. And don't use that because no one can actually read the book. It's not a readable <laughs> book. But it, but it's like, it's one of those things that it's like, it's so brilliant. Okay. and It's such, such a work of genius. It has absolutely nothing to do with restaurants. Um, I, I highly, um, I love uh, Fooled by Randomness, um, which is, um, an, I think it's Taleb, right? Um, he's the guy who did The Black Swan and whatnot. But okay. Fooled by Randomness was is actually a quasi-ish trading book. But... Um, it's not really about trading. It's about how um, outcomes and probabilities are are non, uh, non-intuitive. You know, It's like if you ever take a statistics class, what you realize is that all, almost all statistics are completely the opposite of what human intuition is. Okay. Um, so those are the kinds of books that I read. I never, I mean, I've read restaurant books and I, I, don't, I genuinely want to throw them <laughs> against the wall. Um, I think they're all shit. If you're opening a restaurant, do not read restaurant books. There, are, nobody actually gives you real fucking numbers either, which bothers the hell out of me. Yeah. So, like, when I was trying to build Linea, like, I would build. I wrote. I wrote this little spreadsheet called the Universal Restaurant Calculator. Okay. Here's all you need to do. It's like 20 cells. <laughs> uh, it's like all you need to do is go like, how many covers am I doing a night? What are my food cost? You know, what are my food costs? What is my average revenue per customer per minute? Not per. You know. You know. What's my throughput of my restaurant? And I would model up different restaurants. So I would go sit down in a restaurant. I'm like, okay, I got 60 seats here. This guy's been here for like an hour and 20 minutes. I think he's almost done. Like I, so I can, I could like model up a restaurant. And so when Grant used to work at the French laundry, I modeled up the French laundry and I, I came up with some numbers for it. And this is back in 2004 and Grant went like, there's no way that that's right. Like that's just wrong. It's too high and blah, blah, blah. Years, years, years later, we were having um, dinner with Thomas Keller at Meadowood. Okay. And I, 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 I I'm like an elephant in that way. Like I keep, I keep a grudge (laughs) because Grant and I really argued about it at the time. So I'm sitting next to Thomas Keller, right? And by this point, I I knew him and I wasn't embarrassed anymore. So I pulled out the paper and I said, "Hey, chef, uh, you know, can you look at this from back? (laughs) I I made this in 2004. How did I do?" And he was like, "Yeah, you're within about three or four (laughs) percent. Wow. And it's not that hard, but it's if but you can't get real numbers from anyone. Like anyone who wants like I, I. I try on all of our blog posts and whatnot that I write to give away real numbers. Okay. And it's not because I'm going like, look at how fabulous we're yeah. doing. It's because, A, it's possible. Yep. If you want to build a restaurant, you can do it. Yep. Like, you want enthusiasm? Fuck yeah, restaurant's great. <laughs> there are way worse ways to make a living than making 100 people really happy every night, right? Yep. But that requires a team of 30 or 40 people who at some point 10 of them are going to walk out the door for no apparent reason just because their, their life is moving in some different direction. They're moving to Cleveland next week, Tuesday for no reason. Like it's just going to happen. It's the nature of the industry. So it's going to require a lot of planning and a lot of pain in the ass stuff on your part. But it's, it's, you know, it's like, dude, who wants to be an accountant? (laughs) I mean, you're going to have to be an accountant too. Don't get me wrong. you have to do that as well, (laughs) but I don't want to be a full time accountant. you know? (laughs) So, um, yeah, I, So many good books, but I fooled by randomness is a terrific book. Um, you know, and then
1: just go to source material, okay? You know, awesome. I'll have those links in the show notes. This is episode 233. Head over to slash 2333333. Uh, and okay, one technology um, that you're leveraging in your restaurant. I kind of have an idea of where you're going to be going with this one. Uh, that has had a huge impact in your operation. Yeah,
0: I mean, obviously we built that. Yeah, um, but but so obviously talk is is. I spend probably eighty percent of my time building that at this point because okay. all the stuff I'm just talking about with the numbers and all that sort of thing. Um, this is my way of kind of going like, hey, we built this for ourselves. Yeah. I think it can help other people. In in your opinion, who is talk for? Uh, any any restaurant that wants to take reservations. Okay. So we have ordinary free reservations, um, and talk starts at 99 bucks a month. I mean, it's not, you know, the great thing is, is that we're cloud-based. We're not an app, which means that you could be at your house right now, wherever you're listening to this. And you could be, if you have a restaurant, you can use it right there. Mm -hmm. You open a browser and you use it just like you use Google drive or Gmail or, or whatever. Um, it should be as easy for your customers to use without downloading an app. Yep, you don't have to download an app to be on Amazon. Amazon does have an app, <laughs> but you don't need to be on an app to use Amazon, and um, it should be just that easy. If you want to, if you want to book a restaurant, you should be able to do it right in, inside Google Maps without moving, which Talk can do. Um, so there's, it, we have an amazing team of people here who are thinking really, really hard on how to make restaurants better and all of our engineers, even the geekiest engineers with PhDs and all that who program in languages that you've never even heard of like Elm and stuff. Um, we make them work in restaurants. So not just like a day or two, like they go to not, and not just my restaurants, but they go to all sorts of different restaurants and they work the host stand, they work the expo station. They, they see how restaurants use information mm-hmm. And then they come up with really cool, unique ways of doing that. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of the things within Talk are what I would call their features, not products. But other people are selling them as products. So, like, we have a digital waitlist. We have the ability to text message from the waitlist. We have all those things. So, those are just features in in Talk. But yet, people are selling those as standalone apps, which kind of blows my mind.
1: Okay. And uh, one thing that I think is worth pointing out while we're on the topic of Talk, real quick, is just the fact that uh, so many people approach me asking me about. Uh, pop-ups and how, to, you know, how to go about just getting, uh, yeah, so you know, that organized. And it, I, I've talk heard works, talk is great with
0: pop-ups. Talk works great for pop-ups if you are a licensed business. Okay. I will say that. Uh, it's very difficult for us to process um, credit cards and pass along the money to you if you actually have no business license. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, so um, and and I would also suggest Uh, when someone feigns food poisoning, not that you've actually poisoned someone with food, but when they feign the food poisoning, if you don't have a business license, you are in a spot of trouble as well.
1: So lesson number one, get your business license before you do a pop-up and then And then call us. Yeah, then email (laughs) us at talkhq.com. Awesome. Um, So with all the knowledge you've acquired, if you could go back in time, back to 2005, opening your first restaurant, what's one piece of business advice you'd give yourself? Oh, man. I, you
0: know, we've had a pretty good run. I don't feel like I'm going to change much. (laughs) Um, I, for me, it's that I spent about four years or five years keeping my mouth shut. And so I would go into Alinea and because I wasn't a restaurant person, I would do the, the marketing pieces and I would, I would do the accounting and all that. But I didn't try to start redoing any of our processes for until we open next, okay. and and I, I think don't re, don't listen to the experts. You know, it's like an expert is just someone who who just outlasted other people. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and times change. You know, it's like what we're doing now seems so weird and radical, but um, you know, reservations have only been around a hundred years. Like you know, people used to prepay for reservations in the nineteenth century as part of room and board. Really. So it's like if you look at the history of restaurants, restaurants haven't been around that long. They're usually part of an inn. Like, you know, if you were a traveler, you'd you'd have to get room and board, literally. You know, board was literally a board with food on it. Like, (laughs) uh, you know, there's reasons that these are in our language. And so um, I just didn't question some of the managers and some of the professionals that we had, whether they were people that worked directly for us or people that we we hired to do accounting or this Mm -hmm. or that. And so... Um, what I learned was that a lot of the so-called experts just, that's just the way they always done it. The one thing you're not allowed to say in our restaurants, if I say like, why are you doing that? And they're like, well, that's the way we've always done it. That's not a reason. <laughs> that's just the reason why you haven't thought about yeah. it yet. So, um, sometimes we ask people, why are you doing it that way? Even though I know the answer, I want to make sure they know why they're doing it that way because I want them to think maybe they'll come up with a better way.
1: Okay, so is there anything we didn't talk about today, Nick? That God, you, no, we're done. No, I'm just <laughs> I know. I,
0: I mean, you know, this is all I, all I think about these days. Um, between uh, the restaurants we own, um, we're building an aviary in New York City right now, um, and another one here, and then talk. Um, you know, within the building we're in right now, we have about 250 employees, and we're always just trying to make things a little bit better. But okay. I will say this: at the end of the day all of this is in the service of trying to make people happy. Beautiful. And so that's, um, the thing that can get lost in me ranting about the business and all that (laughs) is that I really, really love like just sitting down at a great restaurant, um, having like a passionate cook and someone who's really excited about what that cook's doing, bring it over to the table, drop it. Um, that's still not lost. Like I still feel really, uh, great about that. And you know, you have a, at a great cocktail and a, a, good, a good bottle of wine. Mind you, the bot—I said bottle, yeah. I like a good bottle of wine myself. Pinot, RM. Right? Yeah, I am. A, I'm a burg burg pinot hound. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, it, it's it's a great it's a great business because you know we're all fortunate. Anyone who's out to dinner is fortunate enough to eat that night and uh, still love what we do.
1: Mm-hmm. So. I wrap up every episode by having my guests call somebody out. That's how you got on my radar. Uh, our friends over at Lume called you out, uh, chef Quaid. Oh yeah. And, and our girl over there, she goes by her, her short version is, uh, Vic, R- Ronnie, I think, is what she likes to be called. Yeah, yeah, Victoria. yeah. I can't remember. Yeah, the Lume guys. That. <laughs> the, 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 that team is awesome. Yeah, they are incredible, and uh, they called you out. Uh, I think, uh, you've been called a few times. But who do you admire? Who would you want me to get on the show to to be a guest mentor to shine light on the industry like you've shined light on? Us? Well,
0: I don't so, know if you've had Gadara yet. I have not. Okay, so he, so Will Will and I see things a lot differently than each other. Um, and mind you, we're friends, and 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 he's an investor in Talk, and he uses Talk and all that, but. Um, will is the consummate modern hospitalitarian, okay. if that makes sense. <laughs> um, whereas I will say no to a customer and think the customer is not always right. <laughs> to, thus, why I don't really like setting the table very much. Okay. Um, will comes from that old school lineage of of great hospitality. And... A lot of the things that I said, like he would disagree with, I think. Okay. Um, but yet when he sits down in pre-staff meeting to, to talk about the night there and whatnot, man, that guy's good at that. Okay. He's just really, really good at it. And he approaches everything that they're working on from a hospitality side. Like we do it from the side of like experience creation. And we get to a very similar place from different directions. So I think he's a great person to talk All to. Right.
1: Will, look out. I'm coming after you. And let the folks at home know if they want to learn more about Talk, if they want to connect, uh, what's a call to action? How can we connect? Uh, you can go, if
0: you're a restaurant, go to
1: uh,
0: com. And if you're a consumer, you can go to com.
1: All right. So this is restaurantunstoppable.com slash three three i'll have the links in the show notes nick thank you so much thank for you me much it's a lot of fun thank there you. is no questioning you are unstoppable <laughs> thank you <laughs> cheers bye wow uh that was pretty intense i don't know about you guys but I, I feel like this episode went pretty well if i do have to say so myself maybe except for that part in the beginning where i mess up both nick and grant's last names i swear to god i watched videos before recording to make sure I was saying it right, but apparently I still butchered those names. This is one thing I'll never be good at. Uh, but man, so much great content in today's episode. Uh, it's clear that Nick is just an extremely intelligent man, so well-spoken, and I'll be honest, when he started talking about those numbers and uh, just averages and algorithms, I uh, do you know it was algorithms, but whatever he was talking about, uh, it was slightly over my head. I hope you guys are able to keep up uh, and, you know, just an incredible mind. You can tell. Um, And just some other real key takeaways is the whole idea of just challenging reality. Don't settle for the way things are just because that's how you were taught really constantly try to improve things, constantly try to look at situations through a different lens and to really ask yourself, why are we doing it this way? Is there a better way to be doing things? Can we, you know, can we be more efficient? What what can we do to make this situation better? And you can tell that Nick has that curiosity. He's constantly challenging uh, the status quo, and you know, beautiful things can happen when you're just constantly trying to improve and be a better version than you were the day before. And I think that just must be a gigantic contributing factor to this restaurant group success. If you guys are interested in learning more about Talk, make sure you head over to the restaurant unstoppable show notes page. This is uh episode 333, episode 333, so head over to restaurantunstoppable.com/333. I'll have the links to Talk uh right there and please do use my links and uh, let them know uh the folks at Talk know that you discovered Talk through Restaurant Unstoppable and that's T O C K Talk. Um Great company, uh, really changing the way the industry operates uh, for the better, in my opinion. They're doing great things to really help restaurant owners get the most out of their businesses. Uh, I think Nick made that pretty clear today. And um, keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. They help so much. Reach out to me, Eric Cacciatore, on Instagram and Twitter, slash Restaurant Unstoppable on Facebook, and keep those five star reviews coming all right that's it for today thanks so much for sticking around this long and until next time peace out